Let's turn to 1 Samuel 18. I know that was random. Um, we are this morning going to consider the friendship between David and Jonathan. So we're going to be spanning some verses and some chapters actually together as we focus on this friendship between the two of them. But let's begin by praying and just asking God's blessing upon his word this morning. Father, we come to your word. We thank you for the but the range of your word, the beauty and the strength and the, and the truth and the wisdom of your word. And we also thank you, Lord, that in everything, it points us to Jesus Christ. So we thank you so much this morning as we look at this friendship. We pray you will also remind us of, most importantly, our friendship with Jesus Christ made possible through him. And then also how you've called us into relationship with one another. So bless your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So hopefully you're in 1 Samuel 18. We'll get there. We're going to be jumping around a lot, so you may want to actually just look at the verses up there. Just a couple of weeks ago, the United States Surgeon General Vivek Murthy recently, he gave a speech on the epidemic of loneliness. Studies have found that half of all Americans are living in a state of loneliness and it's harmful to our physical and mental health. One study actually found that a lack of social connection is as harmful as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Now, we all know that loneliness was exacerbated, I don't think I said that completely correctly, but uh, good attempt, by COVID, where people had to isolate. COVID, uh, made, um, COVID made loneliness worse, but it didn't create loneliness. Remembering back a couple years when everybody had to isolate, and they had those commercials where they tried to make it sound like you could have all these deep and meaningful connections by smiling from, you know, 20 yards away and, and all of that. But we, deep inside, there was a sense of isolation. But the fact is, before COVID, many people already felt isolated and lonely, although they may have been in crowds or with other people. Johan Hari, in his book, Lost Connections, claims that loneliness is not just about social isolation from other people. It flows from a lack of meaningful connections. And our culture is really built on individualism rather than community. Our culture is built very differently than a lot of cultures in the world where our individualism is, it's just the air we breathe. But our individualism is our big thing. Many cultures think in terms of a group and community. So it's no wonder that people struggle relationally. And now we can work remotely. We can do our job without leaving our home. We can entertain ourselves endlessly by streaming movies and TVs or games We can connect with people through Instagram and TikTok and Facebook and have hundreds, if not thousands, maybe some people, even millions of friends and followers without ever 
doing any real face-to-face relational connection. We can go to church in our PJs. Some of you are watching right now. You're in your PJs. You've got a cup of coffee, and you're, and I envy you. But it's gotten easier than ever to be relationally disconnected. The truth is developing good friendships is not easy. It's hard work. And you can be lonely even in a group. You can be lonely in a church. You can go to a church for years and never connect with anybody on a deeper, meaningful level. I, I, some people are really good at making good friends. But for many of us, it's a struggle. It's a challenge to get beyond surface friendships. And listen, I know there's the introvert and extrovert, so the introverts are thinking, I don't need a ton of people. And, and amen, maybe you don't need a ton of people, but you know what? Deep inside all of us, whatever our personality type is, we long for relationship on a deeper level. God created us that way. The Bible takes friendship seriously. God calls Abraham his friend. In Proverbs, we read that a friend loves at all times, that the wounds of a friend are faithful, and that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Jesus called his disciples his friends. Isn't that beautiful? He said, I don't call you my servants anymore. I call you my friends. And then he said that greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. And that's what we celebrate at communion, that Jesus laid down his life for us, his friends. For the person who believes in Christ, who trusts in Christ, for the Christian, Jesus isn't just someone who came with teachings. He is our dearest and our best friend. So we come to 1 Samuel chapter 18, and we find the friendship beginning between David and Jonathan, and it's one, truly one of the most beautiful friendships in the Bible. And we're going to jump around a little bit to highlight this friendship, but I want to encourage you to take some time to read chapters 18 through 23 on your own, so you can get a little bit more of the backstory of what's going on between Jonathan and David. And what I want to do is share two points about this friendship between them this morning, and then share two points next week, because there's just too much to cover in one message. And so my first point that I want us to consider is this. David and Jonathan's friendship was built on character and on their common faith in God. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1, 18, verse 1. As soon as he, David, had finished speaking to Saul, The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Here's the context. David has just killed Goliath, and Saul is trying to find out who is this young man. So he's asking him about his family, where he came from, about himself. And as David is speaking, The Bible says Jonathan's soul is knit with David's soul. The NIV says that they became as one spirit. 
What we have is Jonathan immediately sensing, feeling a strong and deep connection to David, a kinship. Jonathan recognized qualities in David that resonated in his own soul. That's what it means to have your soul knit with someone, to, to, to be of one soul. It means he's listening to David and his soul is resonating with what David has, is saying, but more importantly, with who David is. Resonation, by the way, resonance is one of the terms, uh, meanings of resonance is when the vibration of one object creates a vibration in another object that has a similar frequency. That's why I've never seen this happen, but some opera lady singers, when they hit a certain note, from what I understand, they can shatter a glass. You know why? Because the frequency of their voice is matching the frequency of that glass and creating a vibration. We see this principle all over. So put simply, Jonathan and David are on the same frequency. They are on the same frequency. As David's talking, Jonathan's soul is resonating with who David is because he saw character qualities in David. He saw a faith in David that he resonated with. Now, we've already seen earlier that Jonathan was a man who recklessly trusted God. Remember when he, when he says to his arm bearer, he says, listen, let's go and fight these, this, the two of us. We're going to take on an entire camp of Philistines, and who knows? Maybe God will give us victory. He recklessly trusted God. He had courage. He was a great leader. The men, the people loved him. He inspired confidence in all those who followed him. His arms bearer would follow him anywhere. Jonathan, we see from earlier passages, he's a truth teller. He will speak truth to his own father, who is the king. When he disagrees with him, he will say that. And there's a resonance. He's feeling the same qualities in David, the same courage, the same character, the same inspiration, the same faith. And it's resonating except for one difference. David has more. David has more than Jonathan. Have you ever read this passage and read this account and wondered, where is Jonathan when Goliath comes out every day for 40 days and taunts Israel? Where is Jonathan? He's there. He's there. He may not have run in fear for his life like so many of the other soldiers, but he's there. He didn't run out to fight Goliath either. That's no slam on Jonathan. That's just speaking of the greater call and the greater faith on David's life. So the context of 18.1 is far deeper than just Jonathan hears that David's father is Jesse and they live in Bethlehem. The context is Jonathan heard David say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who dares to defy the armies of God? He heard that. He heard David tell Saul, listen, I have killed lion and I have killed the bears in my own hands. And in the same way, I will kill this giant. 
He watched young David walk confidently onto a battlefield that all the older and battle-hardened soldiers were afraid to walk onto. He watched this young boy, David, walk onto that battlefield with complete confidence in God. And then he heard David's unshakable faith in God when he said to Goliath, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down and cut off your head, for the battle is the Lord's. And Jonathan watched him sling that stone right at Goliath and take him down and cut off his head. David had more faith, more courage, more skill, more confidence in his God than Jonathan. And Jonathan loved him for it. Jonathan loved him for it. God's hand was upon David more than any other man in Israel, including Jonathan, and Jonathan loved him for it. He resonated with David's character, who David was, and he especially resonated with David's faith in his God. I'm going to bring this home to us. There are many ways we can resonate with people. You ever, you ever just meet somebody and you click with them? You just click with them? You resonate with them? We often call it, you know, having things in common with them. We got the same sense of humor. We root for the same sports teams. We got a similar background, similar personality, similar interests. And, th and it's very natural that we resonate with people that we have things in common with and similarities with. But I want to encourage us as we consider friendship and we consider David and Jonathan's friendship, our deepest and best friendships should be built on character, not on shallow similarities. And I think most importantly, our best friends should help us to grow in our walk with Jesus. If they're a Christian, they should help us grow in our walk with Jesus. If they're not a Christian, and, and I believe with all my heart, we should have dear friends who are not believers. Don't isolate yourself from someone because they're not a believer. But here's what you need to look at, whether they're a believer or not a believer, is what direction is their influence taking you? What direction does their influence move you in? If, an in, if a friendship influences us away from Jesus, if it weakens or undermines our faith in him, we would be very wise to pull back on that friendship. If our friendship is built on, man, we can gossip for hours and we don't judge each other, there's something toxic about that relationship. You should be judging each other. You should be saying, let's stop this. This is not healthy. You see, we can build resonances that are fun and close, and I can say anything with this person, and they understand me, but it goes in an unhealthy, toxic direction. Trust me, that friendship will not lead you to good places. It probably won't end well because it's not built on good things. If a friendship influences us to judge other people or mock Christianity or constantly question the Bible, 
I'm not talking about honest questions. I mean talking about constantly questioning the Bible. That friendship is going to have a negative effect on our spiritual health. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, bad company corrupts good character. You know what he's saying? You start resonating with bad character, and you're going to start vibrating on the same frequency. That's what he's saying. We will start to resonate with who we hang out with. Our character and our beliefs will solely get set to the same frequencies. But it goes the other way, too. Good company strengthens good character. He who walks, the proverb says, with the wise becomes wise. It can't help but rub off on you when you walk with someone who's wise. You begin to resonate in that frequency. So more than anything, I want to encourage us as, as we consider our friends, particularly our closest friends, those that we spend most time with, are they helping us love Jesus more? Are they encouraging us in our relationship with God? And we, in turn, should seek to be that for them. We should be helping them to love and trust Jesus. Don't, we don't want to be that person that influences somebody, stumbles them, is what Jesus says. We don't want to be that person who stumbles someone else. Because Jesus said the judgment on that is going to be quite intense. David was Israel's champion. And he is a foreshadow of Jesus Christ, our champion. Jesus is our dearest friend. He is the friend who sticks closer than a brother. He is the friend who laid down his life for us. I came to believe in Jesus when I was in my teens. He has been the dearest friend. And I have precious friends, chief of whom my wife here. But Jesus is the dearest friend. We want to both treasure him as the friend who laid down his life for us, And then we want to be that encouragement to others and make sure that nobody influences us against or away from Jesus, our dearest friend. The deepest friendships are not built on sports teams, common sense of humor, same bands you like. It's built on common, it's built on character, who they are, who you are, and a common faith and love. For Jesus Christ. Second point, Jonathan was loyal to David when things were going against David. Chapter 19, I want to read the first four verses. Listen to this, verse 1. And Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. 
Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. It's been said that prosperity begets friends, but adversity proves them. Jonathan became David's friend in David's prosperity. Chapter 1, chapter 18, verse 1, David is on the rise. He just killed Goliath. Everybody loves him. Saul loves him. He's on the rise. Prosperity, fame, success. But now, chapter 19, verse 1, Saul is rallying all his servants and he's saying, I want this man dead. You see an opportunity to kill him. Kill him. And Saul said that to his own son. David is on the downward. There's, this is adversity. This is, this is not a time of prosperity for David. All the kingdom is being enlisted to kill David. But Jonathan does not distance himself from his friend. He, in fact, warns David and then advocates for David to his father. Speaks well of David to his father. I think one, one thing that comes right to my mind, a lesson from this, a great example in Jonathan, is for us not to be fair-weather friends. Not to be fair-weather friends. Jonathan didn't, he didn't jump on the, the bandwagon of, of hating on David and hurting David. He didn't join in the gossip about David. He didn't, he didn't keep quiet. He stood up for David. He advocated to, for David. He spoke well of David at great personal risk. You think, ah, it's his own father. What's the big deal? Do you realize Saul tried to kill his own son with the spear? That's how angry, that's how hateful that's how deranged Saul was. Jonathan risked his own life by going against his father and standing up for David. Jonathan was not a fair weather friend. That is so precious. <clears throat> I, you know, sometimes... And you've probably heard this too. The church has a reputation for shooting its own. Have you ever heard that? The church can be a place that shoots its own. And I think sometimes that reputation is perhaps deserved. <clears throat> but I, I wonder why is that? Why is that? And I'm not talking about good, honest disagreement or trying to work through. I'm talking about where... Somebody falls, somebody fails, somebody hits a hard patch in life, and people abandon them or talk against them or shun them. It happens. I have a friend who was once the center of every, 
everything. I just people want to be around him. He led this, he led that. And then when he got out, everybody wanted to be around him. And then he hit a hard patch in life. And he shared with me the people stopped calling. He understands it. He gets it. He's not bitter. But why is that? Why is that? Why is it the church, the place where sometimes you can have people turn on you faster in the church than in the local bar? Why is that? Why is that? That sometimes friendships can go sour, sour people can, can just like be against you as, as passionately as they were for you. Why is that? I'm asking that question. Maybe nobody else here is asking that question, but I'm asking it. And I have a part of a thought. Because we are a people who think in terms of holiness and obedience to God and awareness of sin, and the world isn't thinking in those terms. So pretty much anything goes. But I wonder if we are sometimes quick because we think we're promoting holiness by cutting that person off. That person fell. I'm, I'm done with them because I'm going to walk in holiness. I'm going to judge them for their failures because I'm wise and I don't want to go down that road. I won't touch that thing. I won't touch that person. Honestly, I, I believe this church is so full of grace and kindness. That's not where your hearts ever land, but... But it is where people land. And here's, here's a couple thoughts to help us remember something about our pursuit of holiness. And I believe we should pursue holiness. The Pharisees, when they brought a woman caught in adultery to Jesus, they thought they were pursuing holiness. They thought they were uplifting the word of God. They quoted the word of God to Jesus. And so in their minds and hearts, we are holy. That was their problem. They thought they were holy. They were sick and they needed a savior. But they thought they were holy and they brought this woman to Jesus, you know, hoping to test him, putting him in a no-win situation and Jesus didn't say, hey, I, I got nothing to do with holiness. I don't want anything to do with God. He didn't say that. What he said was, he who, has the, he who is without sin, those of you who have never broken the law, those of you, you want to talk about holiness, those of you who walk in perfect obedience to God, that's the one who should pick up the stone and kill this woman. And not a single one of them. They just walked away slowly. It's been said, I don't know if this is true, but it's possible Jesus was writing some of their sins on the ground as he stooped down. I don't know. But Jesus reminded them of their own need for grace and mercy, how they themselves are disobedient to God. And then he, who could have cast that stone, Jesus, Instead, forgave the woman, and he didn't excuse her sin. He called her to live a new way. That's, I believe, the spirit of how the church should walk.
We don't excuse sin. We don't say, ah, oh, it's no big deal. I've done worse. But we call one another to live a better way. But we do it by embracing, by caring for, by extending. You know what? When I extend grace to somebody, you come and you share something that's, you know, I've done this or that. When I extend grace to you, that's not heroic. I'm just giving you a small portion of the overwhelming grace I have received from my God. How could I keep that from you? When I've been given it by God. And so we are to gently restore those who are caught in sin or struggling under the weight. Jesus went after the one straying sheep. The father longed for the return of his prodigal son. We were all sinners and we were all lost when Jesus came for us. And so the church should be a place of healing and safe safety for those who are hurting and struggling. One other thought about this before I move on. This prosperity, this I'm a friend when things are going well, I I disappear when things are going bad. Let's not, let's really work hard not to be the kind of friends who hitch their wagon to somebody on their way up and unhitch their wagon the moment they start to come falling down. Jonathan didn't love David's success. He loved David. There's a difference. Loyalty in hard times is something we want in a friend. Isn't it? Don't you want loyalty in hard times? So we should seek to be that as a friend. Here's a question I want you and me to honestly ask ourselves. I want you to honestly ask this question of yourself. Am I the kind of friend I would want to have? Am I the kind of friend I would want to have? It's a good question. We're going to look a little more at David and Jonathan's friendship. I want to just close by considering just an application point, jumping to Jesus and our friendship with him and his friendship with us. Jesus is a friend to us. And he calls us to be a friend to him. And loving each other is how we do that. John 15, Jesus tells us how we can be his friends. Listen to this. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father I have made known to you. This is my command. Love each other. Jesus laid down his life for his friends, for us who believe in him. And that, by the way, is open for anyone who will believe. And he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. What does he then command? Love one another. What this tells us, 
Why do we need friendships? Why should we in the church pursue friendships and relationship? Why? I believe this tells us the top and highest reason, the ultimate reason for building friendships and fellowship with one another, the ultimate reason for working towards loving, loyal friendships in the church isn't for our mental benefit or our physical or spiritual benefit. We will benefit from it. But how we feel, how we benefit, isn't the ultimate reason we meet together and seek to join together in closer fellowship and connect with other believers. The ultimate reason is obedience to Christ's command. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command. This is what I command. Love each other. It's obedience to Christ's command. And obedience to Christ's command is how we love Christ. And I'm not saying that. Jesus said that. If loneliness is called by disconnection, caused by disconnection, Jesus says friendship is connectedness to him. Earlier in this chapter, he says, abide in me, connect to me. Abide in me. And then obey me by connecting and, and loving one another. And this isn't easy. It takes work, it takes commitment, but God can help us to do that. You see, God wants to use other believers to strengthen your faith and walk with him. And God wants to use you to strengthen other believers and their walk with the Lord. I want to ask the band to come back up. We're going to close by singing that hymn again, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. I want to just share a couple practical thoughts because... The application of this, there's no one application of this. It's not like, um, you know, do this one thing. But I think if there is one thing, it's, it's to love Jesus and obey him by seeking to work to draw to love one another and connect with one another. So I want to just encourage you really simply get together with other Christians in the church, not in the church, but get together. Have, have someone over for a barbecue. Get together for coffee. Connect outside of Sunday morning. Can I just say Sunday morning is not enough? There's nobody who's going to build a deep friendship and relationship from one hour a week when you're not even able to talk to each other until after all the singing and sermon is done. It's not going to happen. Consider get, getting plugged into uh, more of the church life. We have Sunday morning, we have community groups, we have prayer meetings, men's meeting, youth group, work days. If we, have, if we don't have a context that you'd love to see developed, come and share it with us and we'll see what we can do. I want us to, you know, begin like we're going to have a monthly fellowship on June 4th. I want us to start doing that, you know, so we can just get together. Are all these solutions? No, they're just contexts. They're just context. So many other ways for us to be a community that cares. Meal trains, thank you guys. You guys are excellent. When somebody has a need or a new baby or whatever, 
meal trains coming, moving people. We're good at that. Thank you guys for doing it. It says care. It says care. I remember, if Ken doesn't mind my sharing this, when they were moving out of um, Savona, Camp Bell, and uh, we had our men's breakfast. And uh, so we got there a little bit late. And so Ken and, and I think one other friend or two other friends showed up and his kids and, and he, was, he said, I was saying, this could be a long day. But more than that, how would it have felt to your soul if nobody showed up? How would it feel to any of us if, if it's like the call is we need help and nobody shows up? It goes deeper than just having to move a few extra dressers. It's care. You guys are excellent at that. Thank you for that. Home projects, benevolence needs, thank you again. Thank you. Making a phone call, sending a card, thank you guys for what you do. I love what Peter says, you love each other sincerely, now do it all the more. That's, I think, the point for this message. Let's do it all together. And uh, one more thing, I, I just want to remind us of the Many Hands Ministry. Um, I know so many people serve, but the saying, many hands make light work, I want to just encourage uh, first of all, I want to thank you for serving, those of you serving. And if you're not plugged in in a way that you're serving, I want to just encourage you, sign up for something. Because not only is it, is it serving a great way that God calls us to engage with him and, and example Jesus, but it also helps us when we're serving, often serving with other people. There's something about it that, that helps develop relationships and friendships. So you can go to our website, top right click, many hands and sign up there or at least find out information about it that's all let's stand together as we abide in christ as we obey jesus as we love one another jesus promises in john 15 that we will bear much fruit for the glory of god and that's our goal and that's our prayer